Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Talk Recorded live. Radio J-Dub, as usual, recorded in front of a live studio audience. Well, not really. You can kind of say that the live studio audience is actually my wife's cat, who is staring at me wondering just who in the hell I'm talking to. Uh, back back in the day, we used to we used to do a 15-minute video podcast, and, and quit doing them because can't get any viewers. I mean, I, I did one where we talked about Tiger Woods. It went viral, but I decided I'm not going to talk about Tiger Woods for the rest of my life. So, anyway, the point is, is that every once in a while it's fun to take one of those old um, video podcasts, pop it up on the big screen TV, confuse the hell out of the cat. She sees two of me, and she doesn't even like one of me, so it's loads of fun, but then again, messing with a cat is, is always fun. Uh, today's episode of Radio J-Dub, we've got two segments for you today, and they're both about coaches. Um, in the first, the first segment, we're going to talk about good, quote-unquote, bad coaches, and without jumping right into the, the topic, we're going to talk about coaches that somehow keep getting jobs when they probably really shouldn't, and... In the second segment, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about former University of North Dakota head hockey coach and new head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers, Dave Haxtall. Um, had a friend of mine from Philadelphia uh, call me up and say, "Hey, um, you uh, went to North Dakota. You know this guy. You watch college hockey. What what are we getting?" and um, I don't think uh, I don't think ESPN is going to give you uh, going to give you the four one one on Dave Haxtall. So uh, we're going to take care of that for you here at uh, at Radio J Dub. So with that, let's just get the first segment moving here. Uh, the cat is like, yeah, get on with it. Let's go. bad coaches. Like I've already said, I'm talking about guys that somehow manage to survive despite themselves. And if you go over to uh, the blog, uh, dubsism.wordpress.com, if you go over there, and if you, or if you happen to be one of the regular readers, you know that every year we give out uh, a series of awards called the Dubsies. And the Dubsy Awards are for recognition of areas in sports that don't normally get recognized and we felt that they should and blah, blah, blah. 
one of the one of the awards, and it's the very last one every year, and it's the Gene Mock Lifetime Achievement Award. And the Gene Mock Lifetime Achievement Award um, is really for these good, bad coaches that I'm talking about. Uh, the definition, like I said, is that guys that they stay around forever, they they keep getting jobs when they shouldn't, but they they do it and it's because they never win championships you know that's the standard is that you know guys that don't get your team to the promised land but will get you halfway there um the award's named after Gene Mock who if you don't know if you're not familiar with with baseball Gene Mock was one of the legendary terrible managers of all time but he kept getting jobs um and you can you can trace just terrible periods in in baseball history, and they all go right back to Gene Mock. Um, without even getting into the teams that Gene Mock coached, Gene Mock is the guy who brought you the idea of platooning players. Let's let's take two guys who would be really productive if we gave them 600 at bats, and let's make sure they only get 300 at bats, and so they never really grow into anything. And that's that's mockism at its finest, and stuff like that is why Gene Mock was the architect of the collapse of the 1964 Philadelphia Phillies. Who, you know, again, if you're not familiar with 50-year-old baseball, this is a team that had a 14-game lead to go with like 20 games to play or a ridiculously small number. I know mean, somebody's going to go out and look that up and send me a note about how I'm off on my exactitude of numbers. But the point is, the the Phillies had um, what seemed to be an insurmountable lead and, and got run down by the Cardinals at, at the last minute. And that was all due to Gene Mock. Gene Mock is also the face of the incredible malaise that was the Montreal, the expansion Montreal Expos starting in 1969. Um, that team was terrible for years under Gene Mock. Gene Mock also had a long period of presiding over some really awful, <laughs> really awful uh, baseball in the 70s at the, uh, in the dugout for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, which is where I really first came to know him. But then I really came to know and love Gene Mock when he came and became the uh, manager of the California Angels. And I watched him take three really talented teams and just gut the fuck out of them. Um, 1979 American League Championship Series, California, and that debacle against uh, the Baltimore Orioles where the Angels were clearly one of the best teams in baseball and didn't even bother to show up for that series. It was it was horrible. Uh, there's 1982, the American League Championship uh, series against uh, the the uh, Harvey Wallbangers, Harvey's Wallbangers, uh, Milwaukee Brewers. California wins the first two games in that series. Just needs to win one more. The ALCS is the best of five at this time, 82, and all the next three games in California. All they got to do is win one game at the Big A, can't do it. Why can't they do it? Because Gene fucking Mock can't figure out that when Paul Molitor starts hitting 500 with, you know, extra base hits rattling off every wall in the stadium, that maybe you ought to not pitch to him. Maybe pitch around him and pitch to Gorman Thomas, who was a human strikeout machine at the time. 
Uh, no, couldn't do that. that. That's Gene Mock. Oh, and let's 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 flash the clock forward to 1986 when you have Gene Mock leaving Donnie Moore in a ball game to give up the infamous bat that never came down home run to Dave Henderson. And then relief pitcher Donnie Moore goes and blows his brains out after that. Uh, thank you, thank you so much, Gene Mock. That's why there, I hope there's a special place in hell for you. And that's also why good bad coaches is one of my spots that gets me to to have a rant. Um, having said that, to me, despite what I've just said about Gene Mock, the prototypical good-bad coach comes to us from the NBA, and that comes to us in the form of Don Nelson. Now, Don Nelson is a guy that, you know, as a player, he played for the Celtics, the Lakers, a couple other teams. He was a journeyman forward in the 60s, went into coaching, and had a long, long career as a coach. I think he coached everybody in the NBA uh, at one point or another, but the thing that's important to note about Don Nelson is Don Nelson has, is the guy who's won more regular season games as an NBA head coach than anybody else, never won a title. In fact, I don't think Don Nelson ever got a team past the second round in the playoffs. That's the kind of thing that, that defines good, bad coach to me. I mean, you want to win 55 games in the regular season in the NBA, great, Don Nelson's your guy. Want to win a title? Not happening with him. That's what a good, bad coach is. And basketball is not the only sport where you have these guys. Football. Oh, football's fucking full of them. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Oh, Norv Turner. How many goddamn jobs did Norv Turner get? And how many jobs did he not deserve? And Norv Turner is that kind of good, bad coach that teams suffer for years after he leaves. I mean, the Chargers are still horrible because of what North Turner did to them. Uh, speaking of the Chargers, uh, Marty Schottenheimer, who actually is a winner of the Gene Mock Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, Marty Schottenheimer, I like Marty Schottenheimer. I thought that he got rooked in a lot of ways. I think when he got fired by the Chargers for taking them to a 14-2 and record, but once again, ganking it in the playoffs. You know, that's that's the thing. I mean, the regular season is nice. It's titles that matter, and, and we all know that. And this is what people in Kansas City are going to find out about Andy Reid. I mean, as, as an old Eagle fan, if you've ever read anything on Dubsism, or even if you happen to be one of those unfortunate people that actually know me, you know that my Philadelphia Eagle fandom goes back for the majority of my nearly 50 years on this planet, but Andy Reid somehow managed to survive for close to 15 years in Philadelphia. You look, look at how many Super Bowl trophies you got. Zippo, Bupkis. Uh, that's, just, that's what's going to happen in Kansas City. Kansas City just going to be the Red Eagles. Um, they're not going to win. They're just not, because Andy Reid is not the kind of guy that can get you over that hump. Andy Reid can get you 10, 11, 12 regular season wins, but those two or three wins that matter in January and February, wouldn't hold my breath waiting for those. Um, there's tons of other guys in football, too. I, you know, I think that, you know, we, we're dangerously close to being able to add Rex Ryan to that list because he's not going to win anything in, in Buffalo. And when he gets fired from there in four years and gets his next job for 
a franchise that is just looking to hire a big-name coach, Detroit Lions, I'm looking at you, you seem to love to do shit like that. Uh, Vikings, uh, the Vikings are a team that always seems to make a bad decision when they have an opportunity to. Um, it, the list is long. It doesn't matter where he goes. Rex Ryan won't win in Buffalo. He'll get fired. He'll get another job. He'll officially be on this list. Um, but to, to move away from football, I mean, baseball's full of them, too. I mean, oh, guys, I can think of, like, Terry Collins. Uh, again, here's a guy that was very Machian in his, um, his uh, approach to, what, three different major league teams. Uh, I mean, I'm doing this off the top of my head. I think he really underachieved with the Astros, the Angels, and currently finding a way to do uh, not a lot with the Mets. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That's what the comment section is. Uh, that's what it's for over there on uh, dubsism.wordpress.com. Love to hear from you. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm an asshole. Whatever. Just tell me something. Um, here's a guy whose name I love to bring up when we talk about terrible baseball managers, and that's good old Dusty Base Runners just clog up the base paths. Baker. How many? How many teams did you watch him go nowhere with? I, to me. The the quintessential Dusty Baker moment is in the 2002 World Series where, you know, he just clearly gets outmanaged by Mike Sosha, who we're going to talk about in a little bit as we're talking about baseball managers. But Dusty Baker is the guy who keeps getting jobs in baseball despite the fact that I don't really think he understands the fundamentals of the game. Um... The quote that I that I stuck him with that you know everybody that follows baseball knows him. Dusty Baker actually believes that you know having too many runners on the base is not good. So that just clogs up the base paths. Okay, and what he's saying, I mean, it sounds kind of silly at first, but what he's actually saying is that you know he he's really never been a believer in the Earl Weaver school of baseball where you just get guys on base and wait for the three run home run. Dusty Baker's been a National League quote-unquote, sort of guy who, you know, thinks that you can go station to station with a base runner and you pick up a run here and a run there and, you know, four of them and you win a ball game if you get pitching that can that can support that. The only problem is that Dusty Baker is probably the worst handler of pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball. Um, I used to call him the ligament shredder, and I think that the Giants really got him out of town when they had that young class of great pitchers coming up that included, you know, Lincecum and Matt Cain and and all those guys, and they said, there's no way we're putting these guys in the hands of Dusty Baker. And next thing you know, Dusty Baker's managing the Cubs, and the rest is history. Um, there's another subset of guys that can belong on this list. And I know when I first said this that I was talking about guys who never won anything, but there's also a list of guys who won early in their careers and then rode that wave for a long, long period of, of them being not productive. And, and this is where I'm going to bring up Mike Sosha from the Angels. Mike Sosha wins that World Series in 2002 largely because all he has to do is outsmart Dusty Baker. Well, how fucking hard is that, okay? But since then, and what really... You know what really I think is telling as to who was really the talent in that Angel dugout. Mike Sosha's never won shit without Joe Madden. 
Joe Madden went to Tampa Bay, and the Angels all of a sudden are a $50 bazillion payroll team that either can't make the playoffs or can't make it out of the, the first round. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, A, the absence of Sosha, or the absence of Madden, but Mike Sosha, you keep telling me he's one of the best managers in baseball. Yeah, I, I think the talent was is sitting in the Cubs dugout right now. Uh, in football, let's talk about let's talk about the post nineteen ninety Bill Parcells for a minute, okay? Bill Parcells wins that you know those two Super Bowls of the eighties with the Giants, and then spends literally about the next fifteen years as this traveling football guru who wins absolutely nothing. Um, the reason why I got Parcells on this list is when I lived in Minnesota, um, having a discussion with a really diehard um, Viking fan friend of mine, and this is in the period, I forget which terrible, which terrible Viking head coach they just fired. It was either, it was either Dennis Green or Mike Tice. It doesn't matter. Pick one. But this guy is all about, I want Bill Parcells. It's time to bring in the big tuna and get this franchise rolling. I'm like, what the fuck do you want Bill Parcells for? The guy hasn't won anything in 15 years. Have you looked, have you looked at a team that Bill Parcells has coached in the last 15 years and said, yeah, that's what I want to be? You really want to be the, those Bill Parcells Dallas Cowboys? Or you really want to be that sorry-ass Patriot team he had? Please. Um... Living off old worlds. Uh, hey, the college the college world has got one of these guys too, and that's Charlie Weiss. Uh, I I think it's true. Somebody uh, can look this up and tell me whether I'm right or wrong. But I think Notre Dame is still paying that fat guy. Um, you know, he goes he goes to the Super Bowl, offensive coordinators the Patriots, and has ridden that into three pretty lackluster performances as a college head coach. I mean, I mean, when your high watermark is getting crushed by Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl uh, at Notre Dame, you're not doing something right. Um, I mean, to be fair, you know, I don't know if anybody's going to win at Notre Dame ever again. They, they're going to have to come to terms with their academic standards, and they're going to have to come to terms with the fact that marrying themselves to the ACC was really not a good idea for football. But this isn't about Notre Dame. This is about coaches. Charlie Weiss bombs at Notre Dame, bombs at Florida, was terrible, absolutely terrible at Kansas. Charlie Weiss, I I don't think he ever gets another head coaching job ever again. And if he does, then he belongs in the Hall of Fame for good, bad coaches because I don't think – I don't think that uh, he, he can get it done anymore. Uh, hockey. Let's talk about the St. Louis Blues, and let's talk about Ken Hitchcock. You know, Ken Hitchcock just got his 700th win as an NHL head coach. I mean, he's like fourth or fifth on the list of all-time guys. I mean, he's he's um, got an impressive resume, and he's got a Stanley Cup win with the uh, 99 Dallas Stars. Is that is that, is that correct? Um, but you look at what he's done in the last three years with the St. Louis Blues, who, that's a talented team. I mean, you, you look at that team top to bottom. They've got offensive, they've got, they've got line depth, they've got defense depth, they've got, 
they're shaky in goaltending. They've always had a little bit of a problem ever since they traded Yaroslav Halak. But that team consistently scores 90 points in the regular season and then consistently loses in the first round of the playoffs. And there's no, there's no goddamn reason why. I mean, yeah, I get playoff hockey is about goalies. And if your goalie is a little bit shaky, you have a problem. But if you looked at this last, this last um, first-round exit from the Blues, goaltending wasn't their problem. Coaching was the problem. I mean, we were, making, we were making line changes at bad times. We got no defense in front of the goalie. I mean, the best goalie in the world is going to give up goals if you let the other team just treat them like the tin duck in a shooting gallery. It's, it's, You've got to have some guys hanging around the blue line to protect him and not rush everybody forward all the time just trying to, trying to make up the goals you're giving up. And that's, 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 that's what Hitchcock hockey has become in the last three years in St. Louis. Um, so why am I talking about all this? You know, we, we got good, bad coaches, and it's like, yeah, okay, you can only have one guy win the Super Bowl, and you can only have one guy win this, and you can only have one guy win that. But I'm talking about all this because this past weekend, I think it's time to put another guy on this list. And that is why I am officially nominating L.A. Clippers head coach Doc Rivers as the next guy on my good, bad coaches list. Um, and you're going to say to me, well, you know, you know he, I mean, he won an NBA title, and, you know, he's, he's a respected man in the league, and, you know, okay, sure. He's also the first NBA coach to lose two series two playoff series after having a 3-1 lead, okay? And in both of those series, the one was just this past weekend, you know, the, the collapse of, of epic proportions that the Clippers pulled against the Rockets. And the other one is in 2003 when he's coaching the Orlando Magic and the Magic lose in the first round to the Pistons. So let's start with that Magic series first because... The thing that's interesting about that Magic series uh, over 10 years ago is that, okay, the Pistons went on to the conference final that year, and the next year, 2004, they end up winning the NBA title. So you know that this was a talented team. Uh, you know, Ben Wallace, uh, I won't, you know, won't go through the list, but, you know, you know, that was the Ben Wallace team. That was really the last hurrah of the Pistons franchise. Uh, like I said, they win that they win that uh, championship in 2004. But that Magic team in 2003 um, had Tracy McGrady in his prime. Had some veteran leadership. You had, I mean, Horace Grant is getting a little old by then, but Horace Grant was still a damn good NBA player at that point. Uh, you had Sean Kemp, okay? Sean Kemp, yeah, another guy getting long in the tooth. They got quality minutes out of him. And they had Mike Miller. Uh, they had they had some talent on that team and. That series, I mean, they're up 3-1, and they got two, count them, two home games in those final three. Couldn't pull it off. Why? Well, look forward to what just happened with the Clippers. Okay, again, Clippers, 3-1 lead. They got a home game in there. So they got every opportunity to close out the Rockets. And then you saw what happened in Game 6. Okay? Game 6, 
when you get to the fourth quarter and you see the Rockets literally run the Clippers off the floor. I would, what was it, a 40-5 to five or 40-15 to 15 quarter where the Rockets came back from being down like 19 points? And Doc Rivers never figures out that, you know, he should probably make an adjustment or that, you know, maybe the problem is, and this is, this is where the Doc Rivers apologists right now are, are getting on my nerves, they say, well, the Clippers just didn't have a bench. Okay, let's, let's look at that for a minute. When you tell me that the Clippers don't have a bench, then my answer to that is, well, who is the GM of that team? Oh, wait, it's Doc Rivers. Hmm. So Doc Rivers knows that his team doesn't have, especially in the front court, because they had a problem with bigs. If you watched what happened when the Rockets went to their big lineup and then you had to force the Clippers to keep both DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin on the floor, and those guys ran out of gas. I mean, Blake, or Blake, um, Blake Griffin's, um, Blake Griffin's minutes went up in the playoffs and... It was it was it was sad to see what what happened because there are times when Blake Griffin can take over a game, but when you run him out of gas, he's pretty much the weapon you've got. Um, Chris Paul, I mean, you know, okay, you can't really do anything about Chris Paul having a ginchy hamstring, but maybe it's not a bad idea to have another point guard just in case you've got one with injury problems. Okay, everybody else, everybody else in the playoffs went out and made moves, or they, you know, like in the case of the Warriors, they stayed pretty healthy, so they didn't have to bother with it too much. But when, when you saw that everybody else was making moves, and the only thing that Doc Rivers does is go out and trade for his kid, um, you, can't, you can't use the they-didn't-have-a-bench um, argument to try and protect Doc Rivers, because Doc Rivers is also the general manager. Um... But more importantly, let's let's talk about let's talk about Doc Rivers. First, let's just cut to the chase here. Doc Rivers and Kevin McHale is one of the worst coaching matchups imaginable because when the Houston Rockets hired Kevin McHale, I went on Dubsism and I excoriated that franchise because I had to watch about 10 years worth of Timberwolves basketball in Minnesota, and I know exactly what putting Kevin McHale at the front end of your franchise does. Um, the list of draft picks that the Timberwolves made is its beyond, it's almost beyond words, how bad it is. And somehow or another, and I think a lot of it has to do with having James Harden, um, but somehow or another, Kevin McPhail has managed to not suck with that team. Again, he's got James Harden. I mean, he's got one of the best players in the league. Funny how that makes you a good coach. Uh, Doc Rivers. So look at Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers has Blake Griffin, another one of the best players in the league. Hmm. So this turns into a battle of who can outcoach who. And when you get out coached by Kevin McHale, you've got a problem. There's there's no there's no two ways about that. You have a problem if you can't outsmart Kevin McHale. And when you're Doc Rivers, you can't do it. Fourth quarter of Game Six showed that to everybody. Um, 
You saw that. You saw that that quarter of basketball, and did you knew, you knew that the Rockets were winning Game Seven in Houston. I mean, if I would have found out that there was anybody willing to bet on the Clippers in that game, in Game Seven, I, I would have called everybody I know. Say, hey, uh, get five hundred dollars worth of action with this guy. He's taking all comers, taking the Clippers. There was no way. You you could see it. That's why. That's why we got to put we got to put Doc Rivers on this list. And, and if you don't want to buy that, okay, go to basketballreference.com, look up Doc Rivers and look at his career coaching record. Okay? You'll see it's like 570 something. It's not bad. But look at what happens to his record when you take out that 2008 championship season with the Celtics. Because let's be honest, 2008 was an aberration. They went out and they made that deal with the Timberwolves and they got that one last shot set of guys with Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and you know, that whole cast of characters they put together for that one run at a title, knowing that that was their shot. They're all in that one year. Well, it worked. But then again, makes you a great coach and you got a lot of great players. So you got, you know, two, three Hall of Famers on a team. Shit, even I could look like a genius. So, that's why I think Doc Rivers really is a fraud as a head coach. Um... I've been harsh on Doc Rivers before. I I really think that he got a free pass during the whole Donald Sterling episode. I think that that was what really exposed him as either an idiot or a fraud. There was no option C. I mean, Doc Rivers played for Donald Sterling. Doc Rivers worked for Donald Sterling as a coach. You're never going to get me to believe that Doc Rivers didn't know exactly what kind of guy Donald Sterling was. And so when Doc Rivers tried to throw his hands in the air and say, I had no idea Donald Sterling was this racist piece of shit, not buying. Okay. All that did was tell me, hey, you're not a guy that can take accountability for the shit he does. You, the, only way, the only way you didn't know Donald Sterling was that kind of guy is because you didn't want to know or wanted me to believe that you you didn't know. Not buying. So that's my thought on good, bad coaches. And in the next segment, in the next segment, we're going to talk about some stuff you probably have never heard of. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about some college hockey and we're going to talk about the new head coach of the NHL's Philadelphia Flyers won Dave Haxtall. Henry Pond, that no fun, has a face like a current fun. This sad adolescent little fella was nicknamed by his friends old Yella. The doctors gave him creams and lotions to try to soothe the boy's emotions. But all in vain the acne stayed Henry's hopes began to fade Then when just about to crack Found another green medal When Henry in the mirror appeared His 
appeared Henry laughed and yelled I got him He faces like a baby's bottom Welcome back to the second segment of Radio J-Dub, where before the break I told you we were going to talk a little college hockey and talk about the new head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers, Dave Haxtall. For those of you who have never heard the word Dave Haxtall before, uh, Dave Haxtall, longtime uh, coach at the University of North Dakota. If you've never heard of the University of North Dakota, the University of North Dakota is kind of the New York Yankees of college hockey. Now, let me backtrack a step there. I know that hockey is a regional sport, and outside of its region, nobody really cares about hockey. Well, college hockey is a concentrated version of that. I mean, outside of the Northeast and the Upper Midwest, I mean, there is no following for college hockey. I mean, college hockey west of the Mississippi River is sparse at best. Um, so when you get outside of the Great Lakes, Upper Midwest, Northeast, nobody's ever heard of the University of North Dakota in terms, of, in terms of ice hockey. But the University of North Dakota has seven national championships, 15 conference championships, um, and under Dave Haxtall alone, I, I can't tell you how many Frozen Four appearances there were, the Frozen Four being the college hockey uh, equivalent of the Final Four. Um, I'm I'm gonna say four or five. Like I said, I'm doing I'm doing this uh, off the top of my head. But North Dakota under Dave Haxtell was a chronic, and I mean chronic, participant in the uh, in the Frozen Four. Now, so why is that guy leaving to go to um, the Philadelphia Flyers? Well. The thing that the Flyers got to understand, I mean, first of all, when this news came out yesterday, this podcast gets recorded on Tuesday mornings. And it was Monday when the University of North Dakota announced that Dave Haxtell was resigning and had accepted the head coaching job of the Philadelphia Flyers. And it wasn't three hours later, they were having a press conference where they were um, announcing that a guy named Brad Barry would be the new head coach of uh, the artist formerly known as the Fighting Sioux. Um, 
So you can't tell me that we didn't know this was coming because you can't set up a press conference in three hours. It doesn't happen that way. Um, so it's pretty obvious that, you know, Haxtell had told them, hey, Flyers are offering me a job. I think it's about time for me to get out of here. Or it could have been the other way. It could have been, hey, you might want to think about uh, updating the resume because here's the dirty little secret about the Dave Haxtell regime in uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota, and that is Dave Haxtell is dangerously close to being a college version of one of those good, bad coaches I talked about in the last segment. Now, okay, I'm going to be fair. He didn't get multiple jobs. The, the first job Dave Haxtell had as a college hockey head coach was in Grand Forks. And the next job he's getting is in Philadelphia. And who knows? Maybe Haxtell, maybe his style of coaching it works better in the NHL. I know it made him... It made him a bridesmaid more often than it made him a bride in college hockey. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I've actually met Dave Haxtell. Um, he's a nice guy, and I, I wish I wish nothing for the best for him in this in this new role in uh, Philadelphia. And the thing you got to understand about North Dakota and North Dakotans, um, the once you are there amongst the North Dakotans and you get to know them and you learn the secret handshake, it's like being a made member of the mob. You know, once I mean, tell you a story, okay? I I um because of you know having divorced parents and having one uh, parent who was in the military, uh, I bounced around in my youth a lot, and a lot of those bounces uh, occurred in North Dakota. And so to this day, I have a lot of friends who are North Dakotans, and they're some of the most awesome people on the face of the planet. And once you know the secret handshake where people, you know, they figure out that you're one of them, you're, you're in. You're, you're as good as gold. Um, case in point, I am, I can't even remember where I was. I'm in a, I'm in a city... 100 miles, 100 light years away from North Dakota. I, I want to really say I'm in Texas at this point. And I'm wearing a University of North Dakota baseball cap. And some guy who I have never seen in my life and haven't seen since walks up to me and says, Hey, where'd you get that UND hat? And I said, Well, uh, I used to live in North Dakota and I went to UND. And he says, Really? I was born and raised in Mayville. Mayville's a little town about a half hour away. And then proceeds to tell me his life story about being a North Dakotan and shakes my hand and then walks off. North Dakotans do this a lot. When, once they identify with each other, it's, it's a funny thing. Why am I telling you this? Okay, because the way you get your North Dakota secret handshake is that you either are born there you live there for a long time, or you play hockey at the University of North Dakota, or you be the hockey coach for however many years Haxtell was the coach. I want to say, you know, close to 12, 13 years at least. He was there a long time. Um, so once you're one of their guys, the North Dakotans aren't going to trash you. But it was very clear. There was a groundswell after this most recent early exit from the Final Four, uh, if you remember 
North Dakota was in the uh, Frozen Four once again and once again lost uh, to an East Coast team. And that was, I think, the last straw for a lot of North Dakotans when it comes to their to their hockey team. Because you got to understand, they don't have pro sports in North Dakota. The whole state's only got 600,000 people. University of North Dakota hockey's a big deal. And especially when just down the road you have North Dakota State University winning, you know, three straight football championships in Division One um, AA football, it's time for the Sioux to win, win a national championship again. When uh, the last one was in 2000 under Dean Blaze, and then Dean Blaze goes to um, take a job in the NHL, and Dave Haxtell becomes the head coach, and... There was a lot of trips to the Frozen Four. Never once came home with the uh, with the hardware, though. And like I said, the North Dakotans aren't going to trash him, but I think in rooms behind closed doors and in places that they don't want to admit, I think there was a conversation about maybe it's time for Dave to go. Maybe it's time for Dave to start putting his resume out there and look for look for another job. It wouldn't be hard for him to find another job. Like I said, I mean, he did have a fair amount of success at North Dakota. Um, I don't necessarily know if the NHL was the best move for him. I mean, North Dakota guys do really well coaching, you know, AHL, USHL, ECHL. Minor league hockey is perfect for college coaches. The bigs? Well, we're going to find out. Um, Here's the thing. The big problem that I had with Dave Haxtell. And, and and before I go any further, amongst the North Dakotans out there, I can already tell that there's a split. And some people are sorry to see him go, that think he's a great coach. There's some people that are ready to say, have a nice life, Dave. Wish you the best, but I'm not really interested in you being my head coach anymore. I am in the second camp. Um, I've never been a Haxtell guy. Like I said, I like him. I wish him all the best. But I've never been a fan of his uh, of his because of one thing. And he has something in common with Doc Rivers. Dave Haxtell was never able to make adjustments when he had to. What do I mean by that? Dave Haxtell took the University of North Dakota and took them through, at first, the old uh, Western Collegiate Hockey Association, the old WCHA, and then once that, that league started breaking up, then the new National Collegiate Hockey Conference, the NCHC, those two conferences had kind of, um, for lack of a better term, they were a lot like what the Big Ten basketball was like in the 80s, where referees tend to let things go, and there was a lot of no blood, no foul kind of stuff. And North Dakota, being you know, being what they are, they played really well in that that system. I mean, they can play physical hockey. Hey, let's get guys in the corners and rough them up. Let's check guys off the puck. Let's let's. Uh, if you're talking about the old movie slap shot, you know, when they start talking about old time hockey, that usually means people are going to get bloodied up. And let's be honest, that's what Sioux hockey's been for years and years and years, even before even before um, Dave Haxtell. I mean, it was that way under Dean Blaze. It was that way under Gino Gasparini. You know, I'm um, really starting to date myself on some of these old, old references. 
But the problem came when once you got out of the WCHA or got out of the NCHC um, and you start playing these East Coast teams in tournaments and you don't have WCHA, NCHC referees that let let things go. You get into the Frozen Four, and just like what happened this last time, you're in this game against Boston University, you know, at seven minutes in, you've already done two penalty kills. And that's what Hackstall hockey was all about. It was all about, you know, you'd rough guys up, and then you get into, uh, you get into the tournament with Eastern referees, and they're not going to let you get away with that. And Hackstall never figured out, hey, Maybe we should not do that this time. Maybe if we outskate these guys, which we were perfectly capable of doing with Boston University with the sole exception of Hobie Baker winner, Jack Eichel. Um, he killed that team. But if you, would have, if you would have not given away those early penalties, then you would have not been in the hole that you were trying to dig out of, and Hackstall teams did that constantly. Constantly. Um, now, in Philadelphia, maybe that works because in Philadelphia, in the NHL, he's not going to have to worry about, oh, gee, all of a sudden I'm in a tournament where I'm playing really a different style of hockey that the referees will, will enforce. NHL refs tend to be pretty consistent about the kind of game they're going to call. Um, the rough stuff, you can get away with the rough stuff in the NHL. The only thing you're going to have to worry about in the NHL is, you know, when it comes to the Flyers, well, the Flyers have some talent issues. But I also think it's going to be very interesting because there's a lot of talented players in the NHL who came from the University of North Dakota and played for Dave Haxtall. And there's a the junior hockey, minor league hockey full of these guys. And it would not surprise me that if the Philadelphia Flyers start looking like the New Jersey Devils of the 90s when they were full of um, fighting Sioux, or you can go around the league right now and you can put together a pretty damn good team on Sioux alumni. You start with Jonathan Taze. Uh, Blackhawks ever going to let him go? No. But there's plenty of other good guys out there. There's Zach Parise. There's uh, you know, there's Matt Green. There's, there's the only thing that the Sioux haven't really produced in quite a while is that they haven't produced a top-flight goalie. I, I think the last, the last really top-flight goalie to come out of North Dakota was probably Eddie Belfour, and that's that's a whole lot of years ago. So, when it comes to being a Flyers fan, and when it comes to being, hey. What is this guy going to bring to me? Okay, Dave Haxtall, in his playing days, he played for the Sioux, uh, not, not just coached him. Uh, Dave Haxtall, a blue liner, a uh, guy that collected a lot of penalty minutes, reflected in his coaching style. Like you said, he's a physical kind of guy. You know, he's, he's going to beat you up. He's going to beat you up around the blue line. Um, hanging around in front of the flyer net is not suggested with Dave Haxtall as your head coach because – you're going to get worked over, and let's not forget when we talk about when we talk about uh, goalies or guys that uh, that were uh, known to be uh, fans of the physical game. The fucking general manager 
of the Philadelphia Flyers is Ron Hextall. And it's funny that that is the case because not only was Ron Hextall a pretty physical guy, especially for a goalie. I mean, Ron Hextall was the guy that was you know perf- perfected the the art of um, rearranging your genitalia with his hockey stick. Um, but when Ron Hextall was sending his son Brett to go play ho- college hockey, where did he send him? Sent him to the University of North Dakota to play for a guy like Dave Hextall. So the Hextall the Hextall thing didn't work in college hockey. It was very good for uh, the regular season. Didn't win any hardware. I don't know what it's going to do in Philadelphia, but I will tell you this. Philadelphia hockey, you can't spell Philadelphia and you can't spell physical without PH. They're, they're going to hit some people. I can pretty much guarantee you that. Are they going to win? Don't know. But that team is going to be one of those teams that you're not going to want to play because you're going to spend more time in the whirlpool and the ice bath after the game than they will, and that's that's what what Hackstall is going to bring to the table. With that, that's kind of what we got to talk about today here on uh, this episode of Radio J-Dub. Uh, you can find Radio J-Dub on uh, the blog, dubsism.wordpress.com. have links up uh, on the site to some of the things that we've talked about during this podcast, uh, the Dubsy Awards, my my excoriation of, of Kevin McPhail, um, all kinds of things you can find in the archives over there. Uh, Radio J-Dub, available on iTunes. Just search Radio J-Dub. And with that, we will talk to you again soon. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.